Let's cut to the chase. The world of work is changing. There's no stopping that change. Welcome to the Better Work Project, brought to you by the team at SoftEd. I'm your host, David Mantica, and joining me as co-host is Andy Cooper and Lauren Gibson. In this podcast, we will explore the changing world of work, what the future of work means, how it affects businesses and workers alike, and how we can create more productive and engaged workplaces. I hope you join us for the ride. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Better Work Project. I forgot what episode we're on, which is scaring me because we're doing so many and we're actually staying on the air. This episode is going to be about scaling agility. And we have a promotion. If you heard the intro there, Loring has been promoted to be co-host. Yay! Is that something we should celebrate? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andy demanded that Andy was your agent. That's right. Put her on there. I'll give you your cut later, Andy. I mean, it only took about 15 episodes, but I've made it to the big time. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Before we get into scaling and scaling agility, which is a phenomenal topic, we've been having some really good topics lately. We had a wonderful conversation with Jeremy Dean last episode around the F word. And when he said that, I kind of freaked out. (laughs) But the F word being, I did, I got really like, ooh. But the effort being about feelings mm-hmm. in the workplace and embracing our humanity. So either side, any lingering thoughts? Effort? No, I know that your feelings were hurt by the fact that all the stuff around the sandwiches was cut out. Yeah, David, do so we need I a debrief? Bitter. bitter. <laughs> well, I'm bitter. Because, yeah, so I, you know what? Jeremy told us to express our mm-hmm. feelings in the workplace. So I'm bitter and I'm a little bit It's a safe space. Because we had a wonderful... Yeah. Yes, we had a wonderful conversation about sandwiches, and I learned so many new things about New mm-hmm. Zealand sandwiches, and the spaghetti mm-hmm. sandwich, and, and then the cream mm-hmm. corn sandwich. But then, like Edward Scissorhands, I, hacked it out. Like, I, chop, 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 I chop, learned chop, that chop, we can really go on. Like yeah. We've bitten off more than we can chew. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll, give you another, I'll give you another dead joke uh, around the sandwiches, and that's why don't Americans eat snail sandwiches? Why? Because they why like not? fast food. Oh, Andy. Well, my decision to order a veggie sandwich was a missed steak. I I think everyone knows why editing is required now. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That was beautiful. So, yes, so even though she's been promoted, there's still a level of agitation Am I being performance reviewed already? Well, we are we are peers. There is no performance review, but I am, you know. I mean, that's not unusual. (laughs) (laughs) that's so true okay okay we better get to the serious nature of this because most of this is going to be cut anyways in this podcast today we're going to we're going to talk about growth now as businesses we're always talking about expansion scaling upping our game to deliver more better faster you get the picture but what about growing our agile capabilities how do we scale and how do we do that successfully so today we're bringing in some hard-hitting questions, and to help us answer those questions is someone who has done the hard yards, that's a good New Zealand term, leading large transformational projects. Sharon, you with us? Sharon Robson of the Enterprise Agility Team and part of the SoftEd team. You're here with us. We welcome you to the podcast, and I pass it over to you and to... It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. You guys should do comedy shows. I mean, welcome to the madhouse. I'm, I'm pleased you, you hung on in there. 
<laughs> I was chortling quietly in the background. Yeah, I mean, you should have heard the the pre-podcast chat. That would be worth publishing. But anyway, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. And David mentioned in the introduction, you've led Agile Adoptions and now you work with companies to help them do the same. Uh, scaling's kind of a thorny issue. It's a topical one. So I want to start with why. Why do we need to scale? Well, I guess it comes down to, you know, why do organisations want to embrace agility at enterprise level? And it's really about, you know, leveraging the benefits and the pluses that come from having that agile mindset and the agile working practices. It's, it's about, you know, can we do more? Can we corner more markets? Can we engage with our customers more? Can we leverage uh, what you guys were talking about last time? Can we leverage the humanity of our workplace and just maximise one of the, the best parts of any organisation, which is the people? And why do you think that we're struggling to scale? We're struggling because people think that you just have to do more stand-ups. The key to agility mm. is not so much the practices. The practices are, are like the safety nets that help us exemplify and, and demonstrate what agility is all about. When we start to think about are we doing the right work at the right time, that's agile. Are we making decisions as fast as we can? And are we bringing the information to the decisions? Are we solving problems? And most importantly, are we actually working as a team? And this is where people think that, you know, the Agile team is 7 to 12 people and they work in two-week sprints, all that sort of stuff. That's not Mm. what agility is. Agility is, you know, thinking of the whole and thinking about where your part in the whole is and is what we're doing right now valuable, which means you've got to understand what value looks like for your organisation. So it's it's a it's sort of like a metaphysical thing rather than a uh, stand-ups, showcases, retro thing, which I think is where organisations get a bit lost. Do you think that's the harder thing? So how do we build not just agile practices but an agile mindset at scale? How do we do that? Mm. It's really It's really about how we think and how we need to break down the barriers between the various departments or elements of your organisation, understand where information flows are and harness those information flows. We also need to de-emote information moving around the organisation. We've, we've sort of backed ourselves into a corner over the past few years, something you referred back to in another one of your podcasts as well when you're talking about scientific working methods. We sort of turned reports into some sort of grading system but when we think about what the object of the exercise of creating reports is to get information flowing get information moving through the system and that's where we fail when we when we scale we don't think about how we can maximize that transmission of information Andy I want to bring you in here you work with a lot of customers that are seeking to scale how do organizations take the power of the small team that Sharon was talking about and expand it across the enterprise with great difficulty is probably the, the, the honest answer. <laughs> yeah, well played. I mean, there are very few examples that, that I'm aware of where, you know, this has been done, you know, sort of well at scale. I think, you know, a lot of organizations have done Agile well in pieces. Often in the software space, there's some, you know, good examples of, of agility. But but transcending out of that has been a real challenge for a lot of organizations. And, and I think a lot of that stems from, just a lack of understanding of 
really what it's about. So, you know, as Sharon talked about, a lot of people think agile is about the practices and really, and especially at the leader level and don't really understand what that means to them and what they'll have to do differently as well. It's usually about, it's for someone else, not for me. 100%. And and this is one of the things that drives me crazy when they, when a lot of organisations talk about scaling agility. They say that the CEO and the CIO and the CFO and the CMO have to have a stand-up every day. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. That's not scaling agile. That's just, you know, taking cookie-cutter practices mm. and attempting to, you know, lever people into these practices. That's not what it's about. So, yeah, that's, as Andy said, that's that's where we fail a lot. It's not about the practices. It's yeah. about the principles. So when you, Sharon, you got a very pragmatic approach to that. I mean, that's the heart and soul of where the mistakes are occurring and the way you explain it, tight and concise. And then Andy coming very pragmatically from the direction of, well, you know, it doesn't happen across the board very well and not very often. Are, are you seeing that? Are people getting this, Sharon? Are they getting this is the problem or are they still fixated as, as what a lot of our humans are? we follow the framework, we follow the process, and then we follow the practices and everything will ultimately work out. Yeah, well, um, you know, cognitive behaviour therapy says basically do the practice and then the thinking will follow, which is fine, absolutely fine. And that's what the frameworks yeah. are all about. They're there to help us extrapolate from the theoretically perfect, which is what all models are, uh, that we've got to then extrapolate into our imperfect context in our working environment. And that's where people are failing to make that leap because they'll try the model and they'll try the framework and they'll try really hard and it just doesn't quite work. So then they, they feel like they failed. And really what it is is that they've forgotten that models are just simplified versions of reality and what we need to do is use the model as a guide as a set of tools not a set of rules and that's a super important thing and oh I like yeah, that. No, it, it, mm. I love what you're saying too I love what you're saying too because I got enlightened by a very simple message that someone gave me once and they said that maturity is a process not yep. an mm-hmm. event and I think the way you started explaining this I mean the process of scaling it's not a one-time event. It's a long process that ebbs and flows. And then I started thinking about this question. I realized that people change at different paces at different times. So it can never be, a, it's, it's going to be, ha- it's going to be kind of sheltered, right? And Andy, you've probably seen this as well. Like it may be going well at one point and then it's not going to go so well, but then we just put this determination of failure because we think everything has to be graded, right? Is that you see that, Andy and Sharon? What's your thought? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly right. It's, it's, I, I call it instant agile. There's this mindset that people think we can just buy agile out of the box, and if we, if we, if we buy the framework, just add water. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and then the world will be perfect, and we will mm. be agile. And it's like, oh, guys, you know, it's as as you've just said, David. It's it's about the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. And it is really about this working cohesively as a whole, as an organisation. And, and that's one of the other challenges that organisations do uh, create for themselves is they, they make a department go down the agile journey and they very quickly grind themselves to dust against the rest of the monolithic organisation who hasn't changed any of their practices. Yeah. So it's sort of like all in or not. 
you mm. really got to you really got to go wholeheartedly towards this destination as an organization but there's a little bit of rigidity to that as well so like you know agile started within the IT domain and it's extended into the business at large but you know you were talking about before the CEO and others they they wouldn't benefit from some agile practices so how do we balance that how do we scale and yet understand that we don't need to have stand-ups for every team etc yeah, well, it's about the, you know, truly understanding what agility is. And that's, you know, problem solving and decision making, making sure that we are doing the right work at the right time, and making sure that we are working as a team. Now, this this is where a lot of organisations go back to the literal translation of what agile looks like. And they think, right, so when we when we form our teams, they have to be, you know, these these small cross-functional teams. Yes, they do. But what we need to recognise is that we actually want to form teams of peers. And by forming those teams of peers, we can have those small cross-functional teams at all levels through the organisation. So the C-suite is a small cross-functional team who needs to work as a team. So that means that when we're having those leadership discussions, we've got the, the CEO and the CFO and the chief marketing officer and the chief information officer all pulling together to deliver the strategy of the company and making the trade-offs and then understanding, as we do at software development team level, we talk about the units of work and have to, how they have to be moved between the team to allow us to deliver value. If we do that at senior levels, then all of a sudden the whole organisation starts to move very smoothly together and we get into flow states, which is what we're looking for out of Agile. I want to kind of pick up on your point around the, the change that's required. So adopting Agile at scale requires systemic change, which, you know, it's not easy. So what structures need to be in place to support Agile at scale? Okay, so number one, you need to have a really clear line of sight of the work, okay? So this is where visibility and transparency comes in. These are the cornerstones of agility. To be able to be agile, you need to be able to orient yourself to both internal and external events so that you can make informed decisions about which direction you're going to go next. Now, you can't do that if you don't know what's going on inside the organisation and you can't do that if you don't know what's going on outside the organisation. So this visibility and transparency is super key. You've got to have information moving through the organisation so everyone can make informed decisions. Lots of, lots of frequently made decisions and appropriately made decisions. So understanding the decision rights, making sure that we've got distributed decisions being made, understanding who's appropriate to make the various decisions are key. But with that comes one of the cornerstone elements of agility, which is trust. Again, in your previous podcast, you were talking about this safe working environment and leveraging the, the people in the organisation to maximise their ability to deliver incredible value. We've got to trust each other, make sure that we understand what decisions need to be made at each stage of delivery of value and empower people to make those decisions. Andy, do you want to jump in with your thoughts? Yeah, well, was a, I thought it was a great summary. I think, mm. you know, just how I'd wrap around that would be, you know, if we think about what's going to enable that, because a lot of leaders fear, you know, they fear letting go because ultimately you're still accountable. Yep. And so how do you how do you still feel safe yourself when you let go? And that requires some enabling factors. And I think that's where 
good information. So making sure that the information you've had is distributed to your team so they can understand the context and make good decisions. Yeah. Decision rights, as Sharon said, is really important. And I think also just clear on the purpose of the organisation yeah. and clear on on their role and how they connect to that purpose. And that's where things like, you know, currently are, mm-hmm. are very useful ways of trying to connect my work to to what the organization's trying to achieve and being clear about the decisions and the trade-offs going to be necessary to make in order to you know to to achieve those when we move to an agile approach to delivery of value we're looking at making sure that we've got access to other people's thoughts other people's perspectives other people's skills and other people's mindsets that's why we form these small cross-functional teams But it doesn't have to be at employee level. It can happen at all levels of the organisation. And we're just looking for those adjacencies and that information flow between those adjacencies. That's where the cross function. And who carries the information between the teams? Like how how does the information process back and then go back to those teams? Because not everybody can be in all the team meetings at once. No, exactly right. And you don't want to have that management by committee or anything like that. Yeah. It's really about really understanding the type of information that needs to pass between the various elements of the organisation and getting the best person for that job to be passing the information. You've got to be careful, though, because you, you don't want the information to go through a filter. So we yeah. need to make sure that the information is as transparent as possible and we've got as much visibility. These are the common themes that come up. But making sure that the person who is sharing the information is prepared to talk to the information and they understand it. So this is this is where we get this visceral gut level understanding of what the organization is trying to accomplish. And then for each team, them understanding how they help the organization achieve its purpose. So when I hear you talk about this type of stuff, it really starts making me understand where the failures occur. Because mm. What you just explained is hard and not many people work this way and not many people act this way. So it's like I can see the failure because I don't want to do this. Why am I forced to do this? You know? Exactly. It's hard. And and you have to be you have to be open and you have to be honest. And that's where we were talking about, you know, some really key elements around trust and collaboration. You've got to be prepared to make trade-offs. It can't be all your own way. It's got to be doing things that are the best for the organisation. And because we've got this visibility and transparency, we've got this really enhanced trust happening. There's, there's nowhere to hide. So, you know, if, you, if you're not there doing your very best and trying as hard as you can, it's going to be really obvious. Sharon, do you want to talk to us a little bit about leadership and I know there's a lot of research that suggests that uh, failure to to scale agility at an enterprise level links to kind of a failure of leadership. What are your thoughts there, having been a leader and and seen it close up? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I think the, the challenge that we face is senior leaders are very good at being senior leaders, but the way they got to those roles was about being the rightest person most of the time so they're very strong and they're very decisive and I think Andy was talking about it earlier they're very good at making control-based decisions 
And when we start to have that distributed decision-making and we start to share information, we really do have to let go of control. And oftentimes people confuse leadership with control. It's not the case. Leadership is about setting direction. Control is about setting the pace. And what we need from a leader is that clarity of direction and purpose. You know, tell everyone the why and let the really smart people figure out the how. And the confusing bit is where leaders get stuck into the how we should do things as opposed to the why we should do things. Leaders, uh, to me, leadership is like holding water in your hands. The tighter you hold, the less water you can have. If you have loosely cupped hands, you can hold far more water Mm. than you can if you've got fists. And and getting leaders to recognise that it's that loosely held approach to management, I think, is the key thing. And this is another line that we cross here is, you know, when we're talking about agility, we talk about empowered self-organising teams, which means that the focus for senior members in any organisation is not about the management. It's about the setting the direction and providing the safe environment for people to work in. And when I say safe, I mean psychologically safe. Mm. (laughs) Good distinction. Andy, I want to bring you in here. I want to get your thoughts on that kind of hero as a leader complex. And we've spoken about this on previous podcasts. How do we move from that kind of thinking to harnessing the collective intelligence of our teams? Well, it's, it's, it could often be very tricky because as Sharon pointed out, that's often what people know and, and what's been rewarded in organizations is that hero mentality. And where you know, it's, it's often confidence over competence is often what, you know, people get promoted for. So I'm very confident about something, may not be very competent. Mm. And that's often mm-hmm. often a male characteristic as well. A lot of um, men get promoted for that confidence when often it's not, not appropriate, especially now where things are more complex. Um, the world is moving at a faster pace. Mm-hmm. You need to be you know, have the humility to say, I don't know, and mm. you know, elicit other people's views and opinions and step forward without without that confidence necessarily that you know the answer or you know the outcome, but you're willing to learn. And I think that's a big shift as well is that we've rewarded in a way a very false set of principles in a way or characteristics that are no longer serving us, you know, will no longer serve us well in the future. So that's going to be a big shift, I think, is just human need for, you know, this bold leader and so on. The hero leader is, that's a human characteristic somewhat that's flawed. And, you know, if we look forward, we're going to need to have more of a blend of, you know, more more empathy, less confidence, more competence. 100%. You've nailed it, Andy. It's about engaging with that humility to say, I don't actually know all the answers. And having a leader who isn't the best at something is brilliant because it means that the pressure's off the leader to try and demonstrate that superior competence, mm. and they can then focus on you know setting the direction. And they're modelling that like, too. They're modelling that behaviour. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I always use the analogy around you know organisations are explorers of the future. Mm. Every explorer knows exactly where they're going. They're just not sure how they're going to get there. The guys going to the North Pole. They knew they were going to the North Pole. They just weren't sure the path they were going to take. South Pole, same thing. Headwaters of the Nile, same thing. Everyone knows exactly where they're going. They're just not sure how they're going to get there. And very successful explorers 
form teams of competent people around them. But the level of competency is contextual. But here's the challenge. When, I love what you're saying, but here's the challenge on scaling. Not everybody yep. is like that. I mean, the vast majority of the population has none of the attributes of an explorer. The vast majority Rubbish, of the David. There's a great, I think it's a Chinese saying, you can never put your foot in the same river twice because you're always different and the river's always flowing. That's what agility is all about. Then why does it scale well? What's the what's the blockage that causes the scaling to start to fall apart? Well, we've been talking about it, the fact that we, we've got to trust everyone in the organisation that they're there to do the best job they can. And we've got to give people the right information to make the decisions that they need to make, which we don't do. We don't do. We, we, ho- we hoard information. We don't set clear directions and we don't empower people. That's a, it's a huge, big thing. And we want people to be predictable. We want, you know, our brains are very lazy, very, very lazy. Mm-hmm. Our brains want things to become habitual yep. so that they don't have to spend energy thinking and learning and growing. But organisations need to expend that energy. We have to be learning organisations. We have to be always examining our context and making decisions on that. And what we think people want is this predictability of what's going to happen next. It's not actually true. People are brilliant at dealing with change. People are brilliant at solving problems. We do it all day, every day. We've just got to unleash that. We've just got to harness the problem-solving skills of everyone rather than try and negate them. And when you, when you look at things like continuous improvement, continuous improvement is applied problem solving, which is, again, part of agility. And it's why we iterate when we're doing anything. We always want to do a bit and check and see if we're on the right track. Mm. What organisations struggle to do is they don't check well. They don't like to learn that they're wrong. And so they pretend that they're going agile, but we're not actually learning from what we're doing. I want to pick up on your your point about being iterative, Sharon, because this is one of the things yeah. I struggle with is that, you know, agile favors an iterative and incremental approach. And yet so many organizations adopt a big bang kind of approach to scaling. So why do you think that is? And is it helping or hurting or what's your thoughts? It's, it's not helping, it's hurting, and they're doing it because it's easy. It's like we were talking about before, instant agile. Just add water and your organisation will be agile. Buy the right framework or, you know, pick up the right agile box and you will be agile. And what we find is it's actually, I call it lip service agile. We're going to say all the agile words and we're going to make our teams work iteratively but we're not going to make decisions and we're not going to have information flow through the organisation in, in all directions. We're not going to build those networks that we need to build. So we'll work in sprints and we will use stories, therefore we're agile. It's not true. It's not agility. It's you know just lip service. Mm. So people do it because they want, they want the quick answer. And what... 
amazes me is if we think about last year, March last year, everyone's world changed drastically. And we've been talking about remote working for years and years and years. And every organisation, most organisations said, no, we can't do it. We haven't got the infrastructure. We haven't got the ability. We haven't got the frameworks, all that sort of stuff. And then March last year, we went instantly remote. The world did because we had no choice. And it's really about recognising that it was going to be crunchy to start with and March probably wasn't our highest productive month ever in most organisations around the world. But my goodness gracious me, when we moved into April, May and June, yeah. productivity went through the roof. Yeah. So Interesting counter. Yeah, it's about this faith in abilities, I think, is a real challenge. And organisations, because they're big, they want to have frameworks and you need to have frameworks you do need to have guidelines that is, allows commonality and common practice you've got to have that otherwise your organization can't move and it can't make decisions but there has to be enough to provide the core stability for the organization but not so much that we're driving out individual decision making I like that you talk about how hard it is because I think you're right sometimes it's sold as this panacea and it's super easy you know scaling agile is is challenging and you know there aren't that many companies that are doing this well and Andy talked to that earlier in the podcast so I think it's not surprising that people want to replicate those that have been able to achieve it you know the ING's and the Spotify's of this world but you know similar question to before how useful or not is it to copy the likes of the Spotify model because you know, I think it's really interesting that there's an obvious appeal in following a recipe that works, but when it comes to change, you know, the ingredients aren't the same, different players, different organization. What's your take mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, well, Spotify themselves said that they don't even use the sort of Spotify <laughs> yeah, model. I like that. <laughs> and I, that just made me laugh out loud because, you know, how, how honest is that? <laughs> they use bits of it, but they're, because they're a learning organization they're happy enough to look at a model and say, oh, yeah, let's give that a go, and they try it for a bit, and then they say, no, we need to change this. This isn't working for us. These bits do work for us, so we're going to keep doing those, and we're going to change these bits. And they pay attention to whether or not the bits they've changed have added value or not. And if they have added value, they keep the changes. If they haven't added value, they iterate through the changes, and they keep on looking for a better way. And this is, I think, the problem with frameworks. They're static. And an organisation is constantly changing. It's constantly growing. The context that the organisation lives in is always different. So when you, when you go to the framework and you want to you stratify that framework and you want to make it the rules, you are inhibiting your organisation's ability to flex and adjust with context which is what agility is all about, you know, being able to flex and adjust. So Spotify and Netflix and ING and all of the organisations that are doing really well at agility are constantly changing. They're not just adopting a framework and stopping. They're saying this is our start point and we have to go from here, which I think is the, the key mindset that you've got to have. Yeah, It's back to being those explorers. And You need to have the right tools. Andy or David, do you want to add to that? Uh, well, I'd just say, yeah, it's it's there's some value in in you know learning what people have done before you and and thinking about that and but but it's always got to be within your own context. So look at your own culture, yeah. look at your own organizational structure, look at your own needs, and then figure out 
what of those elements may apply. But but as Sharon said, it's very much the start point. So expect that whatever model you put in place, it won't work uh, or won't work at least in certain circumstances or or in or you know in certain ways. So that's the assumption. You should always go in with that mindset that it's the null hypothesis. You know, it's probably not going to work. Let's give it a try and let's figure out what does work and what doesn't and adjust. And too often, and I've seen this very recently with some of the clients, they've gone in with this new operating model, which is the buzzword for the moment, of, right, we're going to move into a cross-functional team. We're going to shake things around. And here it is, right? So all these bright people have come up with this new structure that was better than the last one that didn't work. And you just make it work. And as leaders, that's your job. And that's flawed, a very flawed assumption. It should be, you know, yeah. we're smart people. We've come up with some ideas. We don't expect it to all to work, but it's part of your job to help us to figure out a, a better way. Because yeah. we don't like, see, this is where my debate comes back to it. I think humanity is beautiful. But in every scenario for humanity, our system one brain wants us to go to something that is structured. You go to the Agile's perspective and you look at where Agile started as a manifesto to safe, <clears throat> to discipline Agile with structure and process and frameworks. You look at PMI and you look at the PMBOX 7.0 now, and we add heavy structures to things because it allows us to work without deep thought. Yeah. And I think scaling Agile is challenging because we have to help people get to that explorer mindset that is buried, mm -hmm. buried deep, deeply within them. And as Andy, you say this so eloquently, it's 33, 33, 33. And that last 33%, some companies are just not patient Do enough. you want to explain that, Dave, for our audience? Yeah, so, you know, Andy talks about this very well, is that 33% of an organization will jump at it because they're eager. They are true. They are Explorers. already have ex exploration in their hearts, mm -hmm. and they're out there testing. The other 33%, the exploration is close, but not quite there. And they see it and then they'll jump. And the other 33%, for some reason, has repressed that capability and need serious help to bring it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of that, when you start to scale, you start hitting that 66% rapidly. And yet the company gets impatient. The good agile people are like, these people are dumb. That's, that's, yeah, but that's, that's where the frameworks come in because the frameworks give you the tools to open up those 66% mm. mindsets. And that's why they're so the whole point around practices the, as opposed to mindsets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier. Well, that, so, that's, when you, so then we should embrace them more. So it's like the, the amphigelicals that are the first 33% when they're scaling shouldn't get so freaked out when we're incorporating the frameworks to bring the other people into the fold. Yeah. It's like you 100%. Hit, yeah, yeah, I think 100%. that's the... So when you, when you look at skill acquisition, you know, you look at things like the Dreyfus model or whatever, you, you've actually got to go through this learning journey <laughs> where you need quite strong guidelines to start with until you're comfortable with the thought processes associated with the activities, then you can loosen the guidelines. But the, the early adopters, the, the people who are already in that mindset, they find those strong guidelines quite uh, restrictive mm. and very frustrating yeah. but they need to recognize that the the other 60 other 66 percent need the supporting structures and processes to help them understand the mindset Sharon from your experience mm -hmm. 
when you were leading an agile change program Mm -hmm. how did you do it how might we go about the scaling challenge like what what's one thing that you can suggest leaders focus on Right. Okay. So Andy alluded to it a little bit earlier as well. It's the operating model. But what we have to do is we have to apply systems thinking. You can't just change one part of the system and expect the rest of the system to continue to exist in the same way that it used to. So from a leadership perspective, to scale agility, we have to think of the whole and we have to make sure that we're moving forward collectively, not individually. So if we're going to change team structures and we're going to form small squads, then we need to think about what does that do to our line management? What does that do to our HR structures? What does that do to our financial management? How are we allocating budget to the various departments? Do we have departments anymore? Are we moving to tribes? If we're moving to tribes, what does the leadership structure look like? What does the reporting structures look like? How are we going to collect the information that we need so that we can make informed decisions as an organisation? How do we make sure that we're engaging people in a way that maximises their ability to contribute to the organisation? How do we do reward and remuneration? All of those things need to be thought about. And when we start to look at scaling agile, what organisations do is they just literally take Scrum out of a box and try and push all their teams into a Scrum framework. It doesn't work. So that sort of thinking is what we need to have. The ramifications of moving to agility, the different cadences of decisions that need to be made, the distributed decision rights, all of those things need to be thought through and aligned back into, you know, what is the, the heart and blood of, of an organisation, you know, where does the funding support the approach that we're taking? How do our HR system support the approach that we're taking? How do we make sure that we've got the right information moving through the system in the right way? Yeah, lots of good feedback there, Sharon. I, I think I really like the balance of your pragmatic approach combined with there's like a level of optimism David's maybe a bit more cynical about about people let's let's jump into our quick fire round Sharon we're gonna throw some kind of complicated questions at you and give you an almost impossible task of answering with a sentence or two are you up for the challenge bring it on let's get into it we'll start with Sharon then we'll go to Andy then David Sharon organizations continue to pursue agile because they know it's worth it Andy um, yeah, they have to, to survive. Dave? That's not one of the questions. You're cheating. Everybody's trying to find a way to compete in VUCA, work in VUCA. Yeah. Sharon, the most common pitfall with scaling agile is? Assuming that software development practices apply in the C-suite. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Andy? Yeah, not applying an agile approach to de- deploying agile. And Dave? Patience. A long-term hiring plan with the right persona, attrition management, and acceptance not, not everyone wants to be agile. Mm. Sharon, we can make scaling easier by just add water. <laughs> <laughs> Going agile, agilely. Mm. Andy? Yeah, I just been back to the Māori proverb there, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata, which is about it's the people, it's the people, it's the people. Mm. Dave? Take a step-by-step approach and reinforcing the way of work over practices. And Sharon, because you're an optimist, the most motivating thing about helping businesses become more agile is? 
seeing the amazing outcomes they achieve. Yeah. Andy? Yep. Happy people, happy people, that's employees, customers, and other stakeholders, shareholders, and so on. Mm. David, I'm going to force you into some positivity. I have positivity. Come on. You have the, the last ability word. To util- the ability to utilize a greater potential of the skills of team. Yeah. Good. That's a good place to end. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. That was episode 26 of the Better Work Project. We want to extend a very special thank you to the amazing Sharon Robson. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast because we've really got some great episodes lined up. And if you'd like for us to cover a particular topic, you can contact us at hello at softed.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Until next time, that's g'day from Sharon and goodbye from David, Andy, and I. Cheers. See ya. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Better Work Project. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have specific suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Continue to fight the good fight. We'll see you the next time on the Better Work Project. Thank you.